This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Galatians chapter 5. Turn to the person next to you and say, Good evening, big ears. I don't get all offended, but I just need to get your attention because I think that there are things that God says to us that anybody get mad there, the devil will steal your joy. Watch out. <clears throat> there are things that God wants to say to us. Uh, we're learning how to develop Christian character. Say Christian character. Christian character. Say character, character is who I am. am. Alright? So now, if you don't tell the truth, you're a liar. <laughs> If you can't be counted upon, you're unreliable. Help me, Jesus. Okay? And you can love God and look as pretty as a picture, but it doesn't cut ice because the time is going to come when your character is going to be in want. It's going to be exposed unless you build it up. And we have people in natural families who grow up not knowing what to do what the right thing is, how to conduct themselves because they weren't taught. Now we need to start teaching this in the body of Christ. There is need for character to come back and be brought back into the body. It must be developed and it's developed by every person. It's not an anointing that comes on you. Amen? So don't look for any specific anointing. If you don't have it, acknowledge I don't have that. Then ask yourself the question, how do I get it? And hopefully we'll get some answers for you. Amen? So verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now verses 19, 20, and 21 give you an idea of what the lusts of the flesh are. And I want you to see that there are a whole lot of things included in the lust of the flesh that you thought was the devil operating. And it's not. It's your flesh. Now that doesn't mean this body. When we talk about, remember this, that all the New Testament, none of, none of the Bible was written to the world. You've got to understand that. It was all written to God's people under the Old Covenant and under the New Covenant. It is written to the church. So it's not written to the world. Don't try and make this fit the world or get the world to try and fit in here. They can't without Jesus transforming their lives. They can't. This is written to the church. And when you hold up the conduct of the church against what God requires, it's, the church is woefully away from where God intended us to be. Now we've got to just bring ourselves in line. Amen? So there are a whole bunch of things there. Like anger. Who's got a spirit of anger? I doubt there are not many people who've got a spirit of anger. What you're doing is you're just venting your spleen. You just, well, you know, I've got rights. No, you don't have any rights. Let me just share that with you. You don't have any rights. Well, in Christ I've got rights. Yes, you've got certain rights in a covenant capacity uh, with God. All right? And God has given them to you. But what about my rights? You don't have any. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. God. You see, you're born again. Now, you're not a servant of the Lord. <clears throat> Let's get away. Old Testament Israel were the servants of the Lord. 
They were called that. They were never called the children of God. Always called the children of Israel. Children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were never the children of God. You have a status far above them. Far above them in Christ. They were never ever there. Okay? Now we were talking about what before that? No, no, no. no. What have I just said? There was somewhere I was going with this. Pardon? Oh, well, thank you. That's what they want to ask. You see, only one person listening. Where are you? <laughs> see, the, the, now, now they, they were the servants of the Lord. They were never the sons of God. All right? Now, under the new covenant, you are not a servant of the Lord. You are brought into sonship. You are adopted. But by choice, you now choose to serve. When you were operating under the world system, you didn't have that right to choose. You didn't have that ability to choose. You had to serve the devil. Now Jesus has brought you out into a place where you can choose to serve him. It's a choice. How many of you know Christians who are not serving the Lord? You're looking at me like a coward at a new gate. You, I mean, how many, how many Christians, how many of you know Christians that are not serving the Lord? Amen. I mean, so you all know what I'm talking about. So there is a distinction between those who serve the Lord and those who don't. All right? There are differences. There are some who are serving and some who are not. So you, you can choose to be a servant of the Lord. I choose. I'm a son, but I choose to serve. My station before God is not servant. It's son. And by exercise of my will, I choose to serve him. Amen? And it's a privileged position. It's a wonderful thing to be able to say, I'm, I've chosen to serve the Lord. You see, I've chosen to be a born-again believer. I've chosen to be a disciple of Jesus. I've chosen to walk the way that God wants me to walk. It's a choice. It's not just happening. It's a decision. I've chosen to serve the Lord. I've chosen to follow Jesus. And it's a choice. And you don't get there without that choice. Now, if you move down to verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5, we get a list of what are called the uh, fruit of the Spirit. But they're not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are the fruit of the recreated human spirit. God doesn't have the fruit of love. God is love. God doesn't have the fruit of peace. God is peace. Okay? He's got it. He's the root. He's got it. You and I have the potential for that is on the inside of us. But we have to bring forth the fruit. He is the vine, we are the branch. And, and grapes are always found on the branch, never on the main stem called the vine. Coming out from the vine are branches, and on the branches you find grapes. And the branch gets its life because it stays plugged in to the vine. Sever it from the vine, its life source is gone. It dies, it withers. Hello? Speaks volumes about the Christian life, all right? Now, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Byproducts of that are joy, peace. What's the next one? Long-suffering. And then gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, self-control. But I want tonight to talk to you about faith, the one that's faith there. It's not faith 
that moves mountains that we're talking about. It's not Mark 11, 23. Who shall, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things that he says will come to pass, he shall have them. That is not a fruit of the recreated human spirit. The faith that is talked about there is better translated, according to the Greek, faithfulness. All right? Now, joy is love's strength. Peace is love's security. Long-suffering is love's patience. Gentleness is love's conduct. Goodness, which is the product of gentleness, is love's character. And faith is love's confidence. Let me just go over that again. Faithfulness is love's confidence. I can stay faithful to Him because I know I'm going to win. Hello? Okay, now, there are a number of testimonies in Scripture that indicate the virtues of faithfulness. For example, Proverbs 28 verse 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. A faithful man, not a faith-filled man. All right? A faithful man. 1 Corinthians 4 uh, 4 verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that a man be found faithful. Faithful. Now, you see, when we start talking stewardship, the majority of people start thinking dollars and cents, and that's where their thinking stops. But we are not talking dollars and cents only, because money is not the only area that you and I are responsible for stewarding. We're responsible for stewarding our lives. We are responsible for stewarding our responsibilities that God has given us. How good a father are you? How good a mother are you? How good a parent are you? How good a son or a daughter are you? Because I want you to realize that in the family unit, it works both ways, upwards and downwards. There are requirements placed on the children in the family to operate in a certain fashion in the home. It's stewardship of that that teaches character. Too many parents let their kids get away with murder. Seriously. And they don't want to go along and bring correction because they're afraid of the ripples that are going to be made. Blow the ripples. Bring on the flood, man. Let's have one. Let's have a tidal wave, but let's get the thing cleaned up. I just lost the young people there. Revelation 2.11 says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, I want you to see something because religious minds will suddenly start grabbing on to to some things there. Uh, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is not saying, You're going to die, be faithful. But rather, He's saying, Your attitude must be one of total commitment, even if it costs you your life. You see, what are you prepared to pay for your Christianity? How important is that to you? And by Christianity, I'm not talking religion, and I'm not comparing it to being a Muslim or a Hindu. But I mean, you're following Jesus. How important is that to you? In America, it's too easy. 
Too easy. You can flip through a whole bunch of channels on television and you can get some religious stuff coming through. You do it on your car radio. Doesn't matter what time of the day or the night it is, you can pick up something that is going to be religious. But what does your Christianity mean to you? What does it really mean to you? See, the church is not intended by God to be a country club. God wants His his people to learn things and to grow and to understand what it is that He has provided for them. What incredible cost He went to in order to secure this. But you and I need to uh, realize that it cost him everything. And somebody I remember talking to to Kenneth Copeland one day said to him, well, if I get born again, what's it going to cost me? Answer simple, everything. Everything. Are you prepared to pay for it? You prepared to pay that for it? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. Because if you don't learn the John 12 exercise, John 12, 24, lest a corner of the wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. If you don't learn that principle, your Christianity is an empty walk. It's an empty walk. It's like eating corn husks. All the fulfillment has gone. (laughs) There's nothing there but emptiness. And Christians say, well, you know, I just don't get anything out of my Christian life. I'm sure. Are you dead? (laughs) All right. Well, let's have a look at this. Let me define faithfulness for you because that's what we're having a look at. Faithfulness was defined as this. Being loyal. Trustworthy. Constant. That's what faithfulness is. Loyal. Trustworthy, constant. The opposite to that is false, (laughs) unreliable, and disloyal. There's tons of that that goes on in churches. Now, God desires faithfulness in His children. But the wonderful thing about it is that faithfulness is a learned process. And in the learning, there is a likelihood you're going to fall short. But when you fall short, 1 John 1, 9 will work for you. God has made a provision. Have a look at 1 John Chapter 1, verse 9, the first epistle of John, that's right towards the back. I want you to see this. I want you to see this in your Bible. This is not written to the guy who doesn't know Jesus. This is not for the New Life team to use in the room with a new convert. This is written to believers. It says, if we confess our sins, so you mean Christian sin? Yeah. Anybody here not sin today? You never got angry. You never got irritable. You never said or did anything. <laughs> so you're lying, huh? We just caused you to sin. If we confess our sins, if we confess, circle that little word if. Because you see the whole verse hangs on that little word. If we confess our sins and implicit in the word, Confess, 
means not just an acknowledging that I've done wrong, but a determination to turn from it so it incorporates and embraces repentance. A lot of Christians think when I go along and I confess my sin, I'm repenting of it. You're not repenting of it unless you turn from doing it again. That's repentance. I'm walking down this way and I realize I'm wrong. It's no good saying, oh God, I'm going down this way. I'm visiting that person all the time and it's nice, but I confessed it. And I don't turn from it. Help me out, Jesus. So you can't do that because that's not confession. Implicit of the word confession of sin is turning from it. And it means I realize, why do I turn from it? Well, it displeases God. Why does it displease God? Some of you don't even know why it displeases God. I'll tell you why it displeases God. Because God is love and God is life. And God said, the wages of sin is death. Don't touch that thing. It's going to kill you. I love you. I've given everything for you. Why are you there? It's going to kill you. That's why God hates sin, because sin kills. It kills relationships, it kills minds, it kills bodies, it kills finances. You move into sin, you're moving into the devil's territory, and he will nail your hide to the wall. He'll kick butt until your nose bleeds. Yes, yes. How many of you been there? Now, now, uh, let me just mention this. I have to repent. Now, I I find that uh, born-again believers, they'll grab onto 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that's true. So they'll go along when they're sinning and they'll confess their sin and they feel grotty. They feel terrible. They know that they've done wrong. And they, how many of you felt yuck inside? Okay. But I'll tell you what the, what the danger is. This is where Satan gets the majority of Christians. They confess their sin and they feel yuck. And they stay feeling yuck. And in that period of time, they don't work for the Lord because they don't feel worthy to work for the Lord. Because I blew it. And Satan tags onto that. And the next time that you blow it, you're not going to feel yuck for that period of time. He's going to make it that period of time. Because he effectively is making you ineffective in the kingdom. And that's why when you confess your sin, the word of God says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. Say, he is faithful and just. And I want you to see what he's faithful and just to do, to forgive our sin and to cleanse us. So when I go along and confess, I must know, number one, I'm forgiven. Number two, I'm cleansed. So why are you still feeling yuck? Well, I hurt the Lord. I know, but he'll get over it. Come on now. Don't lie groveling down there. Receive the forgiveness that already has been provided and get up and go on with God and don't let the devil keep you bound. So many of us don't want to get up and, well, I don't want to, I don't feel right. I don't think I should go to church this morning. The Lord won't hear me. Oh, you silly thing. Wake up, man. Amen. 
Now, let me just mention to you that there, there, there are four things that you need to do in this aspect of it because we're talking about being faithful. We're talking about learning how to build character on the inside so that God can entrust to us more and more and more of the kingdom. Now, uh, there, there are four R's that I've always used as a basis when dealing with 1 John 1 9 for the Christian. Number one, the first R is recognize that you've blown it. Don't live in denial. Oh, I never did that. I never did. If, I'll tell you, do you know what? <sighs> Have you any idea what the advantage to you is of confess, uh, confessing sin? Do you know what you do to the devil when you confess your sin? In other words, the minute that you go along and you confess your sin, this is what you do. You bring the sin out of the darkness into the light. Now it's exposed. And because it's exposed, the devil no longer has power to hold you captive to that. Have you noticed that when you don't confess your sin... You always worry in case somebody finds out. Uh-huh. Is that, is that a bondage? Yes. Oh, yeah. So first of all, recognize that you've sinned. My God in heaven, I've sinned. Father, forgive me. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't using profanity there, please. I'm talking about literally God. How could I be so dumb? Thank you, Lord, for showing me. You see, I believe this. Any born-again believer, I don't care how long you've been on, your, on, on the road with the Lord, but when you know what is right and what is wrong, okay, and I'm not talking about knowing because I'm telling you, I'm talking about you just come to realize, hang on, I'm a new creature in Christ. There's certain things that are, are different here. Why, why, do, why don't I have appetites like that that I used to have? Where have they gone? They're gone. Because the old man died. But now here I am, and, and I blow it. Do you know that you're the first person to know when you blow it? Nearly before God. Do you know that when you come and you confess your sin, that's not the first time that God gets to know about what you've done? Huh? God knows it. See? So when I confess my sin, what I'm doing is I'm bringing it out and I'm putting it in the light. And immediately I strip Satan of his ability to use that to keep me captive. That's the power of confession. So recognize that you've done wrong. Then repent. And I've dealt with that. Make a 180 degree turnaround and make the decision. I'm not going down that road anymore. No more. No more. No, that's death. That's death. That's death. God showed me that's death. I don't go down that road one more step. I turn 180 degrees. Okay? And my repentance, maybe I've got to go to a person. Perhaps I've injured a brother or a sister. We're talking character. Perhaps I've scandalized them. Got real quiet. <laughs> See, we don't kill people with knives and, and, and bullets in the church. We kill them with our tongue. We assassinate their character. And there are too many people with bucket ears who want to hear that kind of thing. And we kill people's character. God help us. God help us. That's my brother. That's my sister. And I've determined you come to me, 
and you want to gossip to me about that person, I'm going to them. You tell me about I'm going to them. Yeah, right. Ask them. I've, I've had them in this week. I've had them in. Yes. I deal with it face to face. What's that? I know. You'd be surprised, man. You see, well, I, want you to, I want you to realize something. That you don't give the devil any opportunity Amen. to get in. Amen. When you know that he's there, I mean, when you know there's a skunk loose in your yard, you don't open your kitchen door and say, gee, I just hope he comes in. <laughs> okay? Deal with it. Right. And the way that you deal with it, though, is always with a view to restoration. Always. Yes. Always to bring life. So I go along and I deal with it. And restitution may have to be made to an individual. Certainly it's before God. Especially if I'm dealing with the body of Christ and I've injured a brother or a sister. Do you think God is going to just turn away and not take notice of the fact that I've gone along and I've scandalized and, re- and attempted to destroy a person's reputation, a son or a daughter of his? You think God's going to look on that lightly? Not at all. I better repent before him and I better go before that person and say, my brother, my sister, I need to talk to you. This is what I've done. Don't try and justify your action because that's not repentance. You're trying to feel better instead of squirming the way you need to squirm, you worm. Now, I wasn't looking at anybody in particular. You understand that, right? But you see, that's what needs to happen. But we don't have the character to do it. We don't have the character to go back and say, look, I'm sorry. This is what I just ran off at the mouth, man. And God's dealt with me about it. I've confessed it before him and I've repented. And I'm coming to you to put things right. I love you in the Lord. And I'm going to go to every person that I talk to. And maybe it'll take you the rest of your life. (laughs) Depends on how big your mouth is. No, come on, help me out here. Is that right? You elders, is that right? And then what I do is I make restitution. I don't just repent, I make restitution. It means I put it right. right. Recognize that I'm wrong. Repent. Make restitution. And restitution means I go to that person and say, now, what I realize that there are things that I've got to do to put this matter right. I'm prepared to do them. That's restitution. Now, the fourth one is the hardest one. It's the one at which some of our, our, our spiritual leadership in this country would not go to. See, because the fourth one is reconciliation. See? Restoration or reconciliation. And you can't be restored to where you were immediately. You can't be. In God, yes, you're forgiven. But do you know that in a marriage relationship, if you don't break the marriage vows with your partner, that partner may take you back and love you, but what is the one element that is missing? Trust. Why? They blew it. And you don't go out and buy trust. It's got to be built. It takes time. And it's hard hard work. And it's blood and sweat and tears sometimes. And maybe it's going to take years to get you back to a place where that person trusts you. And you don't blame them because you're responsible for building the trust. You're the one who broke it, you monkey. Come on. Help me out, folks. Isn't that right? You don't like the word monkey? What can I call him? If I call him stupid, then they shout at me. See? It takes time to rebuild that. When all that trust has been forfeited, it's gone. 
Now it takes time. You don't just wake up the next morning and feel exactly the same. Every time that he comes in late, what are you going to do? Where have you been? Well, you don't trust me. You're right. What do you mean? I don't trust you. I've put up 20,000 big stickers that say, I don't trust you. And as I gain trust, I'll take one off at a time. But while there's one hanging up on that wall, I don't trust you. Read the message. Come on. Now, God will forgive your sins. And what we've got to learn to do is you've got to receive God's forgiveness. The minute you pray, He forgives. When He forgives, receive it. Amen? Now, why will God forgive your sins? Here comes a punchline. Because He is faithful. That's why God forgives. He is faithful. Well, to whom is He faithful? To Jesus. Through what Jesus did on the cross, God considered what He did there perfect. So when we go to God on the basis of Jesus' finished work at Calvary, and we ask forgiveness, God cannot withhold it. He's already received it, done in Christ. Do you understand that? So God accepted Jesus' work, and part of Jesus' work is forgiveness if we repent. Not if we confess, if we repent. The Christian experience is one that is marked by turning away from that which is not of God. See? Now, we don't deserve it of ourselves, but through Jesus, He has made us worthy. God cannot deny us forgiveness when we come on the basis of faith and receive what Jesus already has paid for because God's already accepted it. Do you understand that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, here's an interesting note. You are going to be tried by the enemy. When you take up the name of Jesus and you say, I'm going to be a Christian, you're going to be tested and you're going to be tried. You say, hang on a minute, what's that got to do with faithfulness? Listen. God expects you and expects me to remain faithful to our covenant commitments. You don't change your mind and start off in another direction because the circumstances become adverse. We don't get distracted from our goal or from our purpose because things get tough. We hang tougher. We are faithful to God. It's a decision. I am a follower of Jesus. That's where I'm going. That's how I live. Amen? Amen. Now, if you want God to trust you with His power and the blessings of the kingdom, you have to learn to trust Him. No matter what the circumstances look like. 
your relationship with God is like a marriage. It's twofold. Both partners trusting and loyal to each other. You must remain loyal to God even though there is opportunity to change. This is where a lot of people run into problems with their marriage relationship. The devil can entice them into other relationships outside of the marriage just like this. Why? Because they don't understand faithfulness to the marriage situation, the relationship. And if I don't feel like it or I've had a rough time with my partner, he has an opportunity. Oh, well, let's just see what it's like. It doesn't really matter. It matters. You don't know what you're sowing. You don't know what you're sowing. And you see, being loyal to God, that phrase, being loyal to God, means He, and I understand this, He is the answer to any and every need that I have. And I don't search anywhere else for solutions because they can't give me solutions. My solutions, my answers to to my needs and my problems are found only in Him. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, this is what the Living Bible's rendition of that particular verse says. Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. How do you like that? Living Bible doesn't pull any punches. Anyone who lets himself, lets himself, be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. So here we have proof that you can choose not to be distracted, but you can remain loyal and faithful to God. You can be constant in your profession of faith and the main, uh, and you can remain faithful, loyal to God at all times. Now the majority of Christians love God. Are you getting something out of this? Yeah. You're just saying yes because I'm nice. <laughs> oh, somebody said I'm not nice. <laughs> Most Christians love God. But I'm sorry to have to say, most don't know how to be loyal to Him. Easily distracted into other realms. Easily. And Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep whatever I tell you. See? And the word keep there means you're going to take it and apply it in your life and live it out. Loyalty is this. I stay with what God requires of me, using all the things that He has provided for me to enable me to handle any situation. That's loyalty. Because the circumstances of life change, I don't give up on God. The circumstances may be even-keeled or they may be like this, mountainous. God doesn't change in the situation. His provision is not going to change in the situation. The one factor that constantly keeps changing is the Christian's commitment to Him. If everything is hunky-dory, oh man, I love the Lord. It's so nice. I love you, Jesus, lover of my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Run into a brick wall. Oh, my God, where are you? 
You said you'd never leave me or forsake. I can't feel your presence. Where are you? He never went anywhere. You're the one who's trying to escape. You should be drawing on his enablement in that situation to see you through it because you're sure going to go through it. Either you're going to get dragged down under it and it's going to run you over. I saw a great thing the other day. I saw an awesome, awesome motivational picture. Man, I'll tell you, I'm going to get it. It was brilliant. It was a picture of a guy dressed for the gridiron, but it was real close up. He had the helmet on. You could see some of the turf stuck in here. And I mean, perspiration all over the place. And this was the slogan. You're either part of the steamroller or part of the pavement. I love it. Where are you? You part of the steamroller or part of the pavement? Where are you? Uh Uh-huh. I know where I want to be. Amen. I don't want to be down there. I want to be on that steamroller exercise, man. I think that's tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, we should put them all around the place. Get the people motivated, yeah. You make a choice. See, there are going to be times that you feel like you've been hit by a steamroller. God's got provision already in store for you to enable you to come through that thing sailing through. It's not going to happen according to your timetable. though. So, because you don't have patience, you're able to get it. You're able to endure and suffer long and be kind while you're doing it. You can have joy released in that darkest hour because it's on the inside of you, but you've got to draw it out. But I don't feel like it, Pastor. (laughs) You just don't know how I'm feeling. That's why I'm talking to you, you ugly thing. Wake up. (laughs) You've got to shake the people. Come on. But I just want to get some strokes because I'm feeling lousy today. I've been feeling like this the whole week, you know. I'm just mad at everybody. Repent! Get your life together with God. Come on. Yeah. You're getting pushed around by your circumstances. Devil's pressing your buttons, man. Every time he pushes one, whoops, you react. Mm -mm -mm. Now, so when God places me, just nudge you, say, big ears, wake up. <laughs> don't, don't get offended by me. I wasn't getting personal, all right? <laughs> nudge them and say, I'm sorry, I meant blessing. <laughs> wake up. Big blessing, not big ears. <laughs> so when God places me in a local church... We're talking faithfulness. When God places me in a local church, when God places me, I've got a cellular phone. In a local church, I thought it was God calling. (laughs) He's just going to say, well done, Barry, you're on a roll. Yeah, just keep it going, man. When God places us in a local church, He requires of us 
loyalty and faithfulness to that pastor and that church. I want you to know something. You come into our home, sometimes the fur is flying. We have five adults with five different points of view on everything. (laughs) Everything. Even if they're going in the same direction, some of them are going at a different pace to anybody else. Coming in at a different level with a different slant. So you're going to have the fur flying and it happens, not all the time, but hey, it happens. But don't you come and butt in on our argument. You got five tigers by the tail because they're going to mince you up, man. But while it's in our family, we'll mince each other up. But don't you butt in. Amen? But now you see the same attitude should be here. This is our family. It's got nothing to do with the guy down the road. Nothing. But he's a born-again believer. But he's not part of this family. What goes on in this family is, well, why are you so secretive? We're not stupid. When do you stand on your front porch and shout your financial affairs across the whole neighborhood? Uh Uh-huh. They know you're in financial trouble when the sheriff comes and pins something on your door. But before that, you don't stand there and say, I need $30,000 or I'm going under. Come on. Why? It's got nothing to do with it. Okay? This is family. But we've got to understand something too. There is a way for adults in the family to come together. And we've got to bring reconciliation all the time. Everything that we do is done with a view to coming together stronger than before the conflict was being resolved. And there are going to be differences. Why? Because we're different. Have you looked at how different we are? Ah, my Lord, I'll put up 20 people up here in the front. Not one of them are going to look the same. We're different. Got different attitudes. And that's the wonderful thing about God. I mean, He's able to handle all of us. Lord knows how. I don't Okay. Now, Now, criticism of either or both the pastor and the church indicates something other than loyalty. It might indicate that you're running with a hidden agenda. It might indicate that that you're thinking, well, you know, they really don't know what they're doing. They need me up there. Uh Uh, We've been through that. We've been through that. Okay. See? But all of these are indications of disloyalty, especially if they are voiced. You can think about it, but you open your mouth. You've set in motion a spiritual law. And I want you to know, when it does come to me, and it will. will. (laughs) Promise you it will. You and I are going to visit with each other. We are. And I'll tell you why. Because you see, you don't realize what you're doing to yourself. And you do not realize the potential for damage to the body. And one of my major calls from God is damage control. As a pastor. It's damage control. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. But I'm going to put you in a place where there's no doubt in your mind as to what you've done and what the Word of God says and how I feel about it. And I'm going to love you through it all. I know you think I'm not able to. I really am. (laughs) See? Now, why is this such a problem? Because you are working against 
what God has put you into. If God added you to the church, why are you complaining? Well, I don't think that things should be run like that. Well, maybe you don't have any voice. God didn't say go there and straighten them out. Hello. Now, understand this. I know we've got people from other churches. I'm talking about you and your churches as well. I'm just looking at the principle. I'm not talking here at living faith only. So you don't, well, you know, I, I have rights. No, you don't have any rights. If God added you to the church, be there and be loyal and be faithful. But you need, to re, you need to realize something. God will never put you into an area of greater trust until you have proved yourself to be loyal and trustworthy. Have a look at uh, Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're growing, aren't we? So we can handle this, can't we? And if you can't, we're going to love you, but we're still going to put it out there. Have a look here at verse 12. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? You ain't going to get it. But I've got this great anointing. You ain't got anything. Because God only anoints and equips that which He is purposing to use. And He's not going to take you and use you when you're operating against where God wants you to be. Because you see, one thing that God is looking for is this. That's why I always say to the people before they come into partnership, has God added you here? Pastor, I believe God's added us here. Do you know what you're saying? You're telling me that God's added you here, and unfortunately this has been the case for some. God added you here until the going gets tough. Until the Holy Spirit starts getting your number and starts nailing you, and you are, are resisting change. If God adds a person here, man, that person sitting next to you will be the best Holy Ghost sandpaper you ever are going to meet. If God added you here, because they're going to shape you, just rub you up the right way. Take off rough edges. And it's through a process of exposure to each other that this happens. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we develop. But if we resist being exposed to people and interacting with the body, we become a spiritual hermit out there. You'll never change. Amen. Never change. You'll stay the same. Now here, if God's added me to this church, or whatever church God has added you to, you've got to be loyal, and you've got to be found trustworthy there. And God never put you there as the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that now. I know that. God put you there to learn and keep your trap shut. Now when you are found faithful and trustworthy, then Luke 16, 12 will work for you. Because God is looking for people. If there's one characteristic that God is looking for above all else, He doesn't need your ability. You can't help God do anything. God's looking for one thing. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Well done, thou good and... Not good and anointed. Not good and gifted. Not good and articulate. Good and faithful servant. Faithfulness. God, you can't build a church without it. You can't. You can't. We've been there. God, thank you for delivering us. I, when, I'll tell you, when we sing, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. 
I rejoice. I rejoice. I think back and I give thanks to God. I ain't anywhere near that bunch. And by that bunch, I don't mean people. I'm talking about those years. Oh, but they built character. Yeah, but I can do without that. That's enough building there. How many of you have been there? It's necessary to go through it because we would never be the people today that we are and we're not complete by any manner of means. But I want to tell you, we needed to go through that. It wasn't nice. It wasn't on my agenda. <laughs> Amen? You see? I, I believe this, that God opens doors to us to see how well we respond. And I believe that there are times that God opens a door when He's spoken into your heart and that door's open and He's checking to see what you're going to do. But I'm not called to happy church. Who said anything about happy church? But you know, I really, I, I, did, I, I did that in my previous church and I got burned out. Tell somebody who cares. <laughs> Seriously. Because if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you better be where He wants you. He's opened the door. That's right. And you aren't going anywhere. You can strive in other areas of ministry, but I want you to know, until you get where He wants you to be, now I've used an area there, it could be any other area that you might be resisting. Because the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you first before me. In this church, I don't come to you and say, this is where you need to be. This is where you need... I don't have that insight. And I wouldn't want to put a square peg in a round hole. But I will teach you to hear the voice of the Spirit of the Lord. And when the Lord speaks to you... But Barry, I don't have any formal training. You don't need it. If God spoke to you, they'll provide it. See? But I, I just... I, don't, I really don't see myself in that area of ministry. Excuse me? We're talking building character here. But don't you know, I did that for years and I'm above... Excuse me? And if you are not found faithful in that which God has called you to, do not expect Him to give you anything else. It ain't going to happen. I remember when I got into the counseling room back in the church that we come out of. And I've been through how God got me there. And I said, my God. I mean, I know more about the Bible than these guys put together. He said, I didn't put you there for that reason. I put you there to learn to hear how to function and operate with the Holy Spirit. And you know nothing about that. I said, okay, I submit. So I went in there and I submitted. And I learned a tremendous amount. But shortly thereafter... They came to me about four or five months. I'd been in there and they said, we want you to take over this area. The people that are running it are moving out into another area of ministry in another church. Will I take it over? I ended up with 240 counselors. We had to teach them how to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit, minister salvation, minister deliverance, lay hands on the sick. So I had a little church there. It was wonderful. But this is the interesting thing about it. I don't believe that I would be here today if I hadn't been faithful back then. That's right. Because at the same time, now, Joan, she's my helpmeet. Right? We didn't have a training center three nights a week. We had it five nights a week. Five nights a week with three services on Sunday. 
Now I'm running the counseling room. I'm, I'm in business with two other guys, one a Greek and one a Jew. I'm traveling 400 miles. I get up at 2.30 in the morning to be 400 miles down the road at 7.30 to start making my calls to come back that same day so I don't miss training center. Help me out 5.30 that night. Okay? Go through from 5.30, get home by 9.30, quarter to 10, every five nights a week for a whole year. Two services on Sunday morning. I'm there at 7 o'clock Sunday morning. I finish off and I get home at quarter to two Sunday afternoon after the second service. I'm back again for, for counselor training, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Do counselor training and I get home round about 10, 10, 15 Sunday evening, a whole year. Please don't look at me, I'm not looking for any accolade. I'm talking about that's what God called me to do. My wife didn't understand a whole lot of it right then. I didn't either. I didn't know where God was leading us. But we were faithful. Didn't matter what the weather was. Didn't matter what the circumstances were. That's what I was called to do. Ah, but Barry, that's hard. We had three kids at the time. I think we produced some pretty good kids. And the reason that I'm sharing that with you is because I want you to see, I don't believe if I had been, if I had been negligent and derelict of my responsibilities in those days, I do not believe that I'll be here in ministry today. I don't believe God would have given it to me. It built character. It required character. It required determination, perseverance, a whole year of it. We don't have big breaks like you guys have here. At the end of it, I went back into secular life for five months. I knew God was working. I didn't know what he was doing. And out of the blue, I get a call from an international organization saying, Copeland wants you to run his ministry in South Africa. Are you interested? Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. We're talking faithfulness. You see, a lot of you guys, you want a ministry. You've got to be faithful with what God has put you into. And that is where God has put you, you be faithful. Can I just press on with this for a minute or two? Is that okay? Yeah. Now, we've read, uh, and, and uh, you need to go home for yourself. Read Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. It's the story of the three, the three people, the servants, that were given responsibility, and their master went into a foreign country and said, I'll come. When I come back, I'm going to call you to give account. All right? And I want you to see the way that they handled it. But you need to realize something, that if you want God to give you responsibility, you have to take what He has given you and be faithful with its stewardship. And stewardship is not, I'm going to hide it. Stewardship is, I want it exposed out there so it can be beaten into shape. How are we ever going to know if you're a teacher? If you never put yourself in a position where you could say, we've got a, a place to fill over here and we need to have, who are the people who presently are teaching in the church? Oh, I'll teach, I'll teach. Well, where have you been? Who are you? Well, I've been here every Sunday. Uh, uh, hang on a minute. We've had teaching opportunities all the way down the road. Why have you never raised your hand? Well, you know, I really wasn't called to that. I was called to this. <laughs> not here, you're not. We don't know you. That's where that, word, that, that scripture comes into effect. It says, lay hands on no man's son. Know those who labor among you. I want to know you. I want to, I, want to, I want to see some of your scars. I want to see whether you're able to walk through some of the, the fire and the trial with us. Or are you going to shrivel and you're going to die? 
Are you going to become a casualty because you don't have the wherewithal to get through it? We're talking tough stuff here. But that's what ministry is. We're going to take this place for Jesus. The devil's not going to roll over and play dead. Amen. He's going to get in your face and breathe fire into your nostrils, man. Amen? Amen. So, if you ever have the privilege of being on staff, the staff of a ministry, remember, you are under authority of that ministry leader. And maybe you're working in Happy Church. Maybe you're working here in the psalmist ministry. Whoever the head of the, the leader of that area of ministry is, you're under their authority. You can't do what you want to do. There's a, God blesses order and structure. But I don't feel like it. It's not my kind of music. Ah, fooey, man. Get off there then. Well, we're not going to introduce your kind of music because your kind of music may not be what God is talking to us about introducing here. I think this should be done differently down at Happy Church. Well, go and share that with the person who's heading it up. Now, if the person that's heading it up gets no witness, you submit and you're learning some character in submission. And you go along with the right attitude and you keep loving them. Am I doing all right here? Or are you getting mad with me? Well, you need to understand this, that above that ministry leader is a ministry head. And you are, God requires of you loyalty, faithfulness, and to be supportive. Now, deception leads people out of the will of God. This is what people do. They go and work in the ministry. You've got to understand anointing. There is a corporate anointing that operates here because God has anointed the head. Take the picture of Moses... Uh, of, of Aaron and the anointing oil. Every part of Moses, uh, of, of Aaron, that was exposed to the anointing oil got it. If it was in order, when they anointed him, it went over his head, down his beard, down his garment. This wasn't a little dabble do you kind of stuff. They took out a bucket of the stuff and poured it on him. There wasn't any doubt about him being anointed. You could smell the guy coming 20 miles away. When he'd been there, it lasted for four days. But every part of him that was exposed to that anointing oil got anointed. But the arm wouldn't get anointed if the arm was not in order. If the arm was out there, it ain't getting any of that anointing. It's still his arm but it's not anointed. Why? It wasn't in order. God's not stupid. We're stupid. So people go along and say, well, I've got this great anointing. I laid hands. Man, God's called me. (laughs) They go along and get their cards printed. I'm out. (laughs) You don't hear from them again. That's right. Why? They missed the call. There's a thing called a corporate anointing. And the corporate anointing operates because God anointed the head of the ministry. And the majority of anointings that go on here, the things that happen, even if they through other people, are the result of a corporate anointing. I've been in a church that is so anointed, it would, in its early days, it would peel the paint off that wall. And we saw the, the mochus. We saw the stupid people that get out there. I'm so anointed. They went out. Within four months, you never heard from them again because they thought they had this anointing. And it's a corporate anointing that was on the head of that ministry. Help me, Jesus. 
our training center must never produce anything like that. You got an anointing. We'll know you got the anointing because you've separated yourself unto the Lord. And God has chosen to put an enablement upon you that does that. You might be very knowledgeable, but I want you to know, if you ain't got any anointing, you ain't got any anointing. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't buy it. You can't beg for it because God never called you. And if God never called you, you're not going to get any anointing. I, people, you know, they say, I've got this tremendous anointing. To do what? Well, I don't know, but it's an anointing. No. The anointing is the enabling of God to do something. And if you're not out there proving that to God, hey, man, you can count on me. I'm going to do it. You ain't getting any anointing. There are going to be some young people here who are going to get an anointing that's going to astound some of the older people. Amen. Some young people, young in Christ, Amen. are going to get an anointing because they're taking hold of the word and they're saying, we're going to go and do it. We, try, we, we are stupid enough to believe God. <laughs> we're just going to go and do it. Watch what happens. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I think I might have to carry on there next week. All right? Praise the Lord. Take a hand to the person next to you. We're talking faithfulness. Father, you are faithful in every situation and in every circumstance. You are faithful. We have the ability to be faithful. Faithful to you. Faithful to be what you've called us to be, and faithful to be where you've called us to be. We are not going to be moved aside by circumstances of life. We're not going to allow whatever the devil throws at us to put us off our commitment to you, because we are not fair-weather Christians. We are determined to be your son and your daughter, no matter what the circumstances. You don't change, and we are learning not to change. And so, Father, I pray over every person here, every man and every woman, that that which you've been ministering to us will come alive on the inside of us. And let us see, Father, that this is so important to you. Because only when we've proven ourselves to be faithful are you prepared to commit to us the greater things of the kingdom. So we bless you for this precious person whose hand we're holding. Lord, they've got so much potential for you. Bless them this week and in the days that lie ahead. Give to them desires and let them see manifestations of the desires of their heart coming true. Bring it into the natural. Let them see manifestations. Thank you for them. They're valuable and precious and we love them. In Jesus' name, amen.